How many of you have had a closed-door experience where you know that a door has definitely closed? Maybe you got fired. Don't raise your hand for that one, but uh, it's kind of a badge of honor in some places, right? Man, I don't know that was a closed door. Um, you know, school started this week for a lot of kids, and it's going to start, I think, next week, the following week for a lot of college students. I think FAU starts week after next. Um, you know, school starting is open doors, right? It's a new day. It's a new classroom. It's new crayons. It's new construction paper, right? It's new paste. It's all that great new school supplies. It's exciting. Um, but it's also a closed door if you graduated, isn't it? You know, when you graduate from high school, I think high schoolers are probably the worst about this. Maybe you graduated, but you didn't really want to move on to anything. Because maybe you were thinking, man, those were some good years. Or, man, I kind of miss seeing my friends and goofing off all day at lunch and stuff, you know. Or maybe if, if I hit, the coach would just put me in one more football game at quarterback, hypothetically speaking. And maybe if I had that chance to throw that pass one more time, the guy would catch it and run in for a touchdown, hypothetically speaking. And my life would have changed. No one else thinks like that, do you? But you hang around high school long enough and you're a graduate, the principal tells you you need to go somewhere else. Because graduation means the, the door is closed. And it's time to move on and look at what's next. High school graduation is a closed door. There's an old adage that says, when God closes a door, he I would love for someone to tell me after the service what that means. Because for me, that's incredibly discouraging. Can't God open another door? Maybe a big overhead garage door to step out of a door? Why does he open a window? I just don't get that. I mean, is it something that in order for me to do what's next, I have to become a burglar and climb in the window? What is up with it? I just, I just, I can't. Or maybe I don't even get to go through it. I just get to look at what God is doing through the window. Maybe I'm going to become a voyeur. It's weird. The whole thing is weird. So just strike that from your vocabulary. It doesn't make any sense. I'm sorry. It's not in the Bible, so we can get rid of that. I love Henry Cloud's excellent book, Necessary Endings. And he says, you know a door is closed or an ending has come when you become hopeless about that situation. A lot of times we look at hopelessness as a bad thing, but sometimes you have to get to the point you realize it's never going to change. That door is closed. I can't go back there anymore. I'm hopeless about that situation. You have to get there before you ever realize it's time to move on and to look for what's next. Closed doors are, it can be a blessing can be a blessing because it causes us to look forward to what's next. See, with a closed door, there is going to be an open door, or at least there's the glimpse of the future of a door that is opening. Sometimes there is a hallway of transition to get to that next door. We need to look forward when we enter a closed door. Apostle Paul has that experience Acts chapter 25, Acts chapter 25, we've got about three more weeks in Acts, and then we'll begin at the beginning in Genesis, starting the second week of September. 
So Acts chapter 25, verses 1 through 12. Acts chapter 25, verses 1 through 12. It's on the screen. You can open your device or open your actual Bible. Um, We'll look at the Apostle Paul looking at a closed door and where God is leading. The title of the message today is Going to Rome. In order to get to Rome, you're going to have to recognize that Jerusalem is closed. Acts 25.1 says this, Now, three days after Festus had arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea, and the chief priest and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul, and they urged him, asking as a favor against Paul that he summon him to Jerusalem because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. Now, let's set the context. Felix was the previous governor. Sometimes I get Felix and Festus mixed up, but Felix came first. Festus was next. Felix was the one that the Jews had presented their case to. They had made all kinds of accusations against Paul, wanting him to be killed. And Felix kept Paul down in Caesarea, which is about 60 miles west of Jerusalem. It sits on the Mediterranean Sea. It's a beautiful site. And that's where he held Paul. And he held Paul there for two years, frequently asking him out to come into his chambers and share a cup of coffee or something and talk over this Jesus person. But as we talked about last week, Felix was really just a tire kicker. He was just kind of a window shopper. He was someone who was always shopping, never buying. And he kept hearing from Paul and kind of wasting Paul's time And what he was really hoping for was a a deal sweetener, a bribe, actually, from Paul. He wanted Paul to pay him off so that Paul could get out of prison. But Felix was relatively incompetent, and he was removed for that reason because he couldn't manage the situation between the Jews and the Gentiles. So Felix was removed from office and is replaced by a man named Festus. How many of you know Festus from Gunsmoke? Just lift your hand so we can all connect. I knew some of you would appreciate that. Those of you under the age of 60, you're going, I don't know what that is. But look at me TV, and you can see Gunsmoke. It's a very realistic Western. I mean, all that stuff really happened, not at all. But um, I can't read this without thinking of Festus, and I won't do my imitation of him. So, um, But Festus is a leader. He wasn't long for leadership. He came to power in about 58, 59 or so A.D. So this would have been, if Jesus died, they think around 27 to 30 A.D. Um, This would have been about 28 years later after Jesus has been crucified, just to give you an idea of the historical time frame. Festus didn't reign long because he died of an illness. He was generally believed to be pretty level-headed, pretty fair, but he still had to deal with the Jewish leaders and often bowed to their desires. Important for us to understand, right? So in this this era, you had Israel that was ruled by Rome. It's a nation ruled by Rome. And so the governors that Rome put in place wanted to keep peace in the region. Really important to understand that. So that was one of their main objectives, but they still had to execute Roman law. So it's kind of a balance they had to, had, to, had to work because the Jews would often say, listen, if you want things to go well, you will do this. If you want things to be peaceful, we will see that it's kind of a veiled threat. We will see that things go well, but you need to understand that if you don't give us X, Y, Z or, or make us the leaders and listen to us, then maybe things are not going to go so well. 
So it was really kind of a situation of trading favors and power rather than justice. That's how things worked back in those days under Felix. So the first order for Festus is, well, I guess I better get to Jerusalem because that's where the Jewish leaders are. And let's try to get off on a, on a good foot and let's get this started right. And let's go down and hear what they want to do. And let's get to know them. Let's hear what's happening. And here's the crazy thing. It's been two years. And their first order of business is to get rid of Paul. That's their main thing. They're like, if you want it to go well, you need to deal with this guy, Paul. They hate Paul because Paul is the one who loves grace. Ever forget, people who think they're good, they really hate grace. People who think they can earn God's favor hate it when those who have sinned get to just repent and be forgiven. I'm going to check our spirits there always, right? Sometimes we've lived a good life and we're like, well, I don't want other people to be forgiven. We forget that we've been forgiven as well. Everybody in this room, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been forgiven of sin that doomed you, that deserved death. It's a good idea to put that in perspective from time to time. So Paul preached the grace of Jesus Christ. He preached the reality that getting right with God was all about repentance and receiving the gift that Jesus paid for to give you. That's what it's all about. So they hated him. They wanted him killed. Oh, and oh, by the way, we actually want him brought to Jerusalem for a trial. But in reality, just like two years ago, we're going to kill him on the way. And it's not just some zealots who want to kill him. Now it's the leaders who want to kill him and ambush him. So the situation's gotten worse, not better, for Paul in Jerusalem. Verse 4. Festus replied that Paul being kept at Caesarea was being kept at Caesarea and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So, said he, let the men of authority among you go down with me. And if there's anything wrong about the man, let them bring charges against him. So Festus is like, okay, so you want me to do exactly what you want me to do, which is to drag Paul the 60 miles up to Jerusalem. I'm telling you, I'm going back to Jerusalem in a few days. Come on down with me. You can try him in Caesarea. I'm going back to Caesarea. So the idea is, is listen, I'm going to do what you want me to do. I'll do it relatively quickly, but we're going to do it where I want to do it. He's balancing keeping their, meeting their need and being the authority and letting them know that I'm in charge. You guys aren't in charge. I'm in charge. You can come on down to Caesarea. Verse 6. After he stayed among them, not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea, and the next day he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. When he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. This scene is really reminiscent of the trial of Jesus, isn't it? Remember how they stood around Jesus and they made these wild accusations that they couldn't get anyone to corroborate. They just kept accusing him. And it kind of feels like with this new leader, Festus, and all these Jewish leaders around them, that maybe Paul's life is about to end as well. Maybe this is it. Maybe it's about to end. Or is it? See, Paul's not Jesus. 
Paul has a different assignment. Jesus went to Jerusalem in order to fulfill the scriptures that he would be crucified. If Paul thought he was Jesus, he'd go, okay, go ahead and take me to Jerusalem and kill me. But that's not Paul's primary assignment. Paul's assignment is to make disciples who will make disciples, to connect people to Jesus who can connect other people to Jesus. He still had work to do. And yes, he still had one more card he could play. Verse 8, Paul argued in his defense, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against this temple, nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. He's saying, listen, I'm innocent. You haven't proven anything. I'm just telling you, I'm innocent. Verse 9, but Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, remember that he's trying to gain favor with the Jews that he rules, he said to Paul, do you wish to go up to Jerusalem? And there be tried on these charges before me. It's interesting. Festus had just said, we're not going to go to Jerusalem. We're going to do this in Caesarea. So it feels like Festus is kind of like, you know, this case is really lame. This is a really weak case that you've made. There's no proof. And so you put me in an impossible position. If I, if I don't punish Paul, if I release him, you guys are going to cause unrest. But on the other hand, if I punish him or I turn him over to you, what's going to happen is you're going to unjustly kill him. So that's not, neither of those are going to be a good start for his reign, for his ruling as a governor. What do I do? So he says, look, Paul, maybe you'd like to go to Jerusalem. Those are your people. Maybe there'll be more evidence there. We get closer to the crime. Clearly, Festus is looking for a way out of this. But he knows that Paul, as a Roman citizen, he can reject that idea. He doesn't have to approve a change in venue. Verse 10 and 11. But Paul said, I'm standing before Caesar's tribunal, where I ought to be tried. To the Jews I've done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I don't seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Paul's saying, listen, they've got nothing on me. I'm not afraid of death. If I have done what they said, I deserve death, I'm fine with that. But that's not even true. If I've done anything, if I have done anything against Caesar, let me be tried by Caesar in front of Caesar. And I appeal to go to Caesar. It's interesting. Paul says there's no reason that I should go to Jerusalem. There's no reason I should go to a certain death. I've been called to Rome. I want to go to Caesar. I love how biblical commentator Howard Marshall puts it. He says, there was no sense putting his head into a lion's mouth. I love that. There's no sense in just putting his head in there to be chopped off. For sure, this is going to end in death. There's no sense of putting his head into a lion's mouth, even if he was prepared to stand up to lions when the need arose. There's no reason for him to just go be killed. He's ready to die. He's got work to do. He's got other things that he needs to do. Paul's not afraid to be a martyr. But his primary assignment is to proclaim the message of Jesus in Rome. Remember, the Lord himself had told him that. Acts 23.11, the Lord comes to Paul and says it very clearly. 
It says, The following night the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. See, Jesus came alongside Paul, spoke into his life. Paul, what you've done in Jerusalem, you also will do and you must do in Rome. Very specific, very clear, very clear word to Paul. This is what you need to do. This is what you need to prepare to do. But it must have been still a tough decision, do you think? Just give me one more chance at Jerusalem. You know, Jesus, I know you're calling me to Rome. Let's go do that. But, I mean, you could protect me. Uh, let me just go to Jerusalem one more time. And, and maybe I could convince them. Maybe, maybe some people could get saved. But God is saying, you know what, Paul? It's a closed door. It's a closed door. I'm calling you to Rome. I'm calling you to Rome. And then in verse 12, chapter 25, Then Festus, when he had conferred with his council, answered, To Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. Festus asked his council, the people he gets his legal advice from, is this, is this a good thing? Is this appropriate? Is this within the law? Yes, yes. And probably also, you know, it would be a good idea to get this off of your hands because whichever way this goes, it's probably not going to be good for you. So yeah, let's send him to Rome. Let's let them deal with it in Rome. You see, Paul recognized the closed door. He recognized that his time in Jerusalem was over. Two years. Desire to eliminate him only got worse. He could have asked for a trial. He could have said, God, let me go back to Jerusalem. But to do so really would have been presuming on God. God, I know you want me to go to Rome, but let's, let me go to Jerusalem one more time. It would have been saying, God, I know you have to protect me. I know I need to get to Rome, but I want to go do this first. Oh, it's so important that Paul recognized the closed door. Rather than trying to manipulate God to do what he wanted to do, Jerusalem were his people, people he loved. God was calling him to Jerusalem. Jesus had already given him a clear assignment. Go to Rome. He would in, indeed eventually be killed in Rome. He'd be martyred by Nero. He'd be a Roman candle. He'd be lit on fire, very likely, church tradition would tell us. But in the meantime, he did get to Rome, and he did get to write some very important letters that are a part of this book and, and proclaim the name of Jesus in Rome. He answered the call to go to Rome. Are you dealing with a closed door? Have you come to terms with it? You know, closed doors are normal and universal. Just like graduating from a school. For parents, there's a closed door when your child actually grows up and leaves the home, gets married, has their own family. You don't get to parent them the same way anymore. Even though we could do it really well. Amen, parents? Because we know what's best. But praise God that there is a closed door there and that child grows up. It's time for them to move on. It's time for that relationship to change. We're still to have influence, but we're not the parents anymore. Sometimes you will get 
moved out of a position that you may even like. You may lose a job. And you're like, God, I don't understand why. And you keep going back and asking why. And you keep processing that. And God says, I'm moving you to a new place, to a new opportunity. Most of us, some of you more recently than others, have dealt with a closed door of a loved one that's passed away. And you recognize the fact that, or maybe a loved one who's transitioned into a different place in life, and you realize we'll never be the same again. Loved one is gone. They passed. You have to realize that door is closed. Part of mourning is processing through that and recognizing it's time to move on to the next person that God wants you to be involved with. Toxic relationships can be another type of closed door that you need to move on from. God ever calls anyone to abuse or to be a martyr. Remember, you're not Jesus. You're not Jesus. Some might say, well, how do I know if the door's closed? I might not know. What, let me just give you this. This is a narrative. It's not a, it's not a formula. Let me give you the two ways that Paul knew it was a closed door. First, they wanted to kill him once, and two years later, they wanted to kill him again. That's a pretty good sign. It's a pretty good sign. If it's getting worse over time, and you've given it time, that might just be a closed door. But the second way he knew it was he knew that God had given him another assignment, that God had called him to another place. This is your new door that I'm opening in Rome. You can't even see how it's going to work yet, but I'm going to open this new door in Rome. Now, some of you may be saying, well, I think I've walked away from doors before they were really closed before. The opposite can also be true. You don't just walk away from someone because they're mean, because people are mean. Because it's difficult, because people are difficult, except for the people in this room. But if it's dangerous... If it's getting worse, Paul's case, it's going to be deadly. And when God gives you the vision, this is the next place for you. It's time to close that door and move on. You see, your primary assignment is not to be a martyr. Your primary assignment is to help people follow Jesus and to make disciples. That's what you're called to do. You say, well, wait a minute, Steve. I thought the greatest thing that I could do in my Christian life was to be a martyr. That's my goal. I want to be a martyr. That's not your primary goal. Now, to be sure, if you follow Jesus, it might cost you your life. But your goal is not intentionally to walk into martyrdom. Your goal is to make disciples, which may cause you to be a martyr. But don't miss the real goal here. Your death doesn't, doesn't cover anyone's sins. Jesus' death covers people's sins. Your goal, how do I influence people? How do I figure out how to make disciples? And you may be in a very difficult situation, but you can see how God is using you in those situations to make disciples. You're like, I'm good. Because it is painful to make disciples often. But don't miss the closed doors. See, Paul had one more card to play to go to Rome rather than to be martyred in Jerusalem. See, when that happens, when the door closes, we have to consider, what do I have? 
What can I use in order to make disciples? What is God calling me to do? You see, a closed door is designed to turn your attention to what God is going to do next. That if that door never closed, you would never even be looking at that. You got fired, something happened, you had something, you had something end, and you're like, well, wait a minute, now I need to see where God might be leading me. And that time of transition is absolutely critical for you to go where God has taken you. Everything ends. Everything ends. Are we going to be ready to move away from that closed door to what God is going to do next? Let me give you about four ideas of how to, how to handle this. When you come, you come upon a closed door, first, you need to consider what resources you have and what opportunities you have. Here's what I mean. Paul had citizenship. You probably have citizenship. If you're an American citizen, you can go anywhere. It opens up the world. God, what can I do? I'm a citizen. I can do this. Maybe you're not a citizen and you are limited that way. What skills do I have? What skills do I have? What experience do I have? What unique access do I have? Who can I reach that no one else can reach? Life experiences. Life stage. Financial resources. What has God placed in your hand? Second, resolve that, that what's been given to you in your life you'll use for the purpose of helping people follow Jesus. This is the point where this all goes off track if you're not a follower of Jesus. I have to look at what I have, my abilities, my skills, my opportunities, my citizenship, my positions, my career, all that stuff, and say, God, how do you want to use that? Because that's my purpose in life. If that's not your purpose in life, you're going to really have a problem with being led by Jesus. It's going to be really hard because you're always going to be conflicted. Well, I really want to make a lot of money, or I really want to build my own kingdom, or I really want to be successful. Wait a minute. All that's great if my goal in that is to help people follow Jesus. It's the most important thing anybody could ever do. You say, well, Steve, I don't know how to do that because I'm not a preacher. I'm not a theology major. I, I barely know that I'm saved. How do I do that? It's pretty simple. You just share your life with people. If you're a follower of Jesus, you just want to share your life with people. You don't have to convince people. Certainly, your job is not to convince people. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Your job is to let them see what God's doing in your life. Resolve that what he's given you, you're going to use. And you've been given it for the desire, for the purpose of helping people follow Jesus. And third, ask Jesus to speak into your situation. I'm not saying he's going to stand beside you and you're audibly going to hear. You need to go to Rome. Some of you would like that today. You haven't been to Rome. We should go to Rome, right? I've not been spoken to verbally by Jesus, but I can tell you, I can sense him speaking into my life. Especially when I say, I'm willing to go to Rome. I'm willing to go anywhere. See, God wants you to know where he wants to send you way more than you do. The problem is usually with us because we don't really ask him. You know, God, I, here's, what I, here's where I want you to send me. God, please send me here. Please let me do this. Please give me this opportunity and we don't really listen to what he's saying. We're just listening for him to provide for what we already want. Say, God, I, I, I'm looking for your next open door. I'm okay in this transition, in this long hallway, but I would like to see that door opening somewhere and get other people to pray with you. 
other people who follow Jesus. Pray with me. Help me know where my next step is. Where is my next position of influence? And then get ready to go. Get ready to go and expect him to show you what's next. Where are you? Have you been, have you been kicking at a closed door? Maybe you're still mourning over a door that closed. And mourning's important. It's probably time, though, to look forward to what's next. Where are you taking me, Lord? Sometimes we resist a call to Rome because we still want to be a martyr in Jerusalem. Recognize a closed door. Move forward to where God wants you to be. And incidentally, you might be martyred there point is don't be stuck in a closed door doors close most all of them do eventually but god opens doors he opens new doors be ready to use all that you have to move towards the door that god is opening some of you may have come because you're dealing with a closed door and you're looking for that new direction some of you may be here today because you realize that you've never received this gift of salvation that, and maybe someone's trying to share it with you today. Maybe that's why you're here. You're wondering what God's new direction is. You're in a church service where the preacher is talking about how to receive this Jesus Christ and this new direction in your life. That's a pretty good indication God's probably speaking. Would you receive that gift today? How do I do that? I don't know how to do that. How does that happen? It's pretty simple. It's just like receiving any other invitation. Jesus, I want what you paid for for me. I want the gift that you paid for. I know I can't earn it. I know I don't deserve it. I only know the way to receive it is to admit that I'm guilty and that I need the forgiveness you paid for. It's a simple prayer just like that. We're going to pray in just a minute that's what God's doing in your life, I would love, Julian, I would love to chat with you. Love to help you process what God may be doing in your life right this minute. We don't rush through these things. We take the time that's necessary for you to understand what God is doing. We long for you to know Jesus Christ and the forgiveness that he paid for. Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, It's amazing that you did what you did for me. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. But I desperately needed it. I needed the price that you paid on the cross to be paid for me. God, because of the conviction that you brought into my life years ago, I was able to receive that. God, I pray for those today who are sensing your spirit moving them to receive your gift. Would draw them to the place where they receive your salvation. And God, for those today who would say, I'm dealing with a closed door and I just can't see the future. Oh, I pray for encouragement for them today, Lord. May they, may they know the joy of the presence of your spirit. Maybe not showing them the entire open door, but giving them a glimpse, giving them a view of where you're taking them, Lord. Because you are the good shepherd and you lead us 
ultimately to the place you want us to be. Oh, we love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you stay?